When does talk of the end-to-end supply chain become reality? Hi, everybody. I'm Bob Bowman, Executive Editor of Supply Chain Brain, and this is the Supply Chain Brain Podcast. For decades now, software and logistics service providers have claimed to offer support for the so-called end-to-end supply chain. The reality has been something quite different. Global supply chains have long been bedeviled by black holes of information about the movement of freight, the location, quantity, and condition of inventory, the transmission of critical data about physical goods, and the flow of money. Information systems and business processes simply couldn't deliver on the promise. Recently, however, the term end-to-end has begun to have real meaning. We're finally looking at the prospect of being able to monitor and control product, data, and funds from the acquisition of raw materials through manufacturing, distribution, and delivery to the end customer. On this episode, we'll get a look at the true progress of the end-to-end supply chain with my guest, Roddy Martin. He is Chief Digital Strategist with Tracelink. First, we'll define exactly what an end-to-end supply chain is. Then, we'll examine its progression in the real world, with a particular focus on life sciences and pharma. Progress is happening, it turns out, but we're not there yet. So here is my conversation with Roddy Martin. Roddy Martin, welcome to the show. Hi, Bob. How are you? Good to talk again. Now, Roddy, we have talked many times over the years on one of our favorite topics, and that is the so-called end-to-end supply chain. And indeed, that has been a topic of conversation among supply chain professionals for decades. And I want to talk to you about why it hasn't been achievable up to now, but what makes it possible to achieve now. But first of all, I want to really go down to 101 basics and see if we can agree on a definition of what we mean when we say the end-to-end supply chain. What does that mean to you? In the context that I'm operating right now, I'm operating in the healthcare ecosystem. And so I'm going to give you that framework, but then I'm going to equate it to other general industries. So from my point of view, the end-to-end supply chain is the patient, the end-to-end business operating model, all the way from the patient back to supply. That's sort of counter to the way that we've traditionally defined supply chain, which has often been seen as logistics and manufacturing, etc., It is absolutely the end-to-end business operating model from the patient all the way back to supply. And obviously, in other sectors like consumer goods, that amounts to from the buyer, the consumer of a product all the way back. Or if you're in the electronics industry, you could be selling to a retailer, etc. But the point is, it's much more than the traditional just operating functions of a business operating model. And it's interesting you should say that because even in the healthcare world, that has been redefined in recent years. As far as I can recall, it used to sort of end with the hospital or the doctor or the care facility. Now, as you say, the patient is the end of the end-to-end supply chain, which is a big change, right? Yeah, and what's very interesting, just to pick up on that point, is, I mean, there's no question that the life sciences and healthcare industry have been laggards in supply chain. And, And, I mean, there's a good reason for it. In many cases... A lot of these products have margins of 80% plus. They're buffering inventory to make sure that they've got availability of product by 
keeping 300 days worth of inventory and cogs of 15%. I mean, that's nirvana, right? And you don't really have to worry about too much supply chain except just making sure that you're shipping stuff out of manufacturing operation. Well, the real point is that that's no longer the case. And a lot of these big companies have lost their patents and those drugs and, and products are now available in generic form, which where they have to compete on margins that are anywhere from 15 to 50%, certainly not the 85% margin they've always had. So what's very interesting is finding more and more consumer electronics and ex-consumer goods supply chain executives popping up in life sciences. And suddenly the idea that it's not just a shopper looking for a product on a retail shelf, it's now also a patient. And you're starting to hear the same mental models come through, and that is that the supply chain end-to-end exists to make sure that product is always available to the patient and that we understand patient outcomes and that we're delivering safe product to the consumer. I mean, haven't we heard that all before in the consumer goods industry? So what goes around is coming around in life sciences. And should we not keep in mind, too, that when we're talking about what exactly it is we are tracking through the end-to-end supply chain, it isn't just the product. It's also the data surrounding that product and, number three, the financial flows that accompany it. Shouldn't we keep that in mind? Exactly. When you look at the distribution of margins across the healthcare ecosystem, it goes from the hospitals around the 2 to 3% all the way through the distributors all the way back to manufacturers whose margins can be as high as 85%. So yes, there is significant flow of money. And like we had in the consumer goods space where we had returns and we had retailers who almost had a profit line to claim chargebacks to the manufacturers, we're seeing exactly the same thing with rebates in the life sciences industry. So the tracking of financial flows all the way from patients all the way back to supply and also from supply all the way to the patients and addressing things like rebates, etc. and money moving hands because there's a lot more boundaries, if I may call them that, in the healthcare end-to-end system given that you've got contract manufacturers, you've got API suppliers, you've got manufacturers, then you've got retail pharmacies, you've got distributors and wholesalers, hospitals, and then you've got clinics and patients and all versions of that. So there are a lot of different sectors and components in the entire healthcare supply chain. Yeah, but the irony seems to be that there's no vertical that is more in need of pinpoint tracking through the end-to-end supply chain than life sciences slash healthcare slash pharma because it is so heavily regulated. Now, maybe food and beverage would also qualify because of the health complications and considerations of the public. But given the fact that no industry should be crying out more for it than this, and yet it's lagging, how do you explain that gap? What is interesting, you can compare it to the aerospace and defense supply chain, right, which is also heavily regulated by the FAA. We've had some disastrous failures in the aircraft industry, and yet you don't hear anywhere near the noise around track and trace and serialization and compliance and making sure there's no uh, counterfeit products in the supply chain. Don't hear anywhere near the level of noise in that supply chain than you do in pharmaceuticals. And I think it's because when it gets to healthcare and patients, it's very near and dear to all of us. The big focus that we have in our organization is obviously the serialization and track and trace of drugs that the FDA regulates in terms of the Drug Securities Act. And so any product that's classified as a highly regulated product needs to be serialized, needs to be tracked and traced all the way from the point at which it becomes a product, i.e. it's in a container and starts being shipped. It's serialized, tracked and traced all the way to into a patient's hands because at the end of the day, 
we want to make sure, and this is the new way of thinking about this, although it shouldn't theoretically be new, and that is we want to always have on time and full at the patient. I mean, if a patient needs a whole bottle of capsules, it's no good giving you five, right? You, mm-hmm. That's not an optimum situation. So on time and full, but we also want to make sure that the patient is getting safe product, i.e., that it's not a counterfeit product, that it hadn't snuck into the supply chain from some country that's making counterfeit products. Also, we want to know that the products haven't been tampered with. We've had enough examples of of pharmaceutical products that have been even over the counter that have been tampered with over the years and which have had very high-profile press and media. Of course, it's about availability to the patient. It's about a safe product to the patient. And then what's what's happening more and more, and that is patient outcome. Given the fact that healthcare is bumping up against GDP growth, and that's not a healthy situation, and we can all bet that the healthcare cost of healthcare debate is going to be prominent in our next elections, the cost of healthcare is under the spotlight. So therefore, anything that we can do to shine a light on costs throughout this end-to-end healthcare system and start eliminating some of the inefficiencies like why is it necessary in a supply chain that is not massively demand fluctuating? I mean, it's not like Christmas promotions when people go off and, and buy their medicines. So why is it necessary to keep two or 300 days worth of inventory to buffer availability? And why is it necessary then with 15% COGS when it reaches its expiry date, it's easier to just throw it all away? I mean, we don't run supply chains in other sectors like that. But then again, they don't have... 80-90% margins for their product. However, for all the talk of the need and claim of a end-to-end supply chain in this vertical over the years, what has been missing up to now that made it unachievable in the past? What were the missing elements? Transparency and trust. There are a lot of different players with many different agendas in the end-to-end healthcare system. All the way from manufacturers, we know the big story of the wholesalers and distributors. We know that there are three PL logistics providers offering services in between. We know there's hospitals. The problem is that everybody has their own systems. They have their own databases. There's not necessarily data standards that drive data interchange. There's not necessarily one set of overarching analytics. And so, therefore, there isn't one agenda. There isn't one version of the truth. And therefore, we get multiple versions of all of those. And so that fragmentation is what ultimately is leading to massive costs and inefficiencies being buried in the system. That being the case, what is the solution today? What makes it possible for us to have an honest conversation about it and say, yes, indeed, if we haven't 100% achieved the goal of end-to-end, we are on the way. Why now? Well, why now? Because obviously there's this huge pressure on healthcare costs, and also a lot of the big pharmaceutical companies are losing their patents on their bulk products. But more importantly, we're starting to see a brand new set of therapies around personalized medicine. I mean, we all have read about cell and gene therapy and CAR T cells, etc., where there's a much higher percentage of a good outcome for a patient as both the therapy or the, the treatment for a patient for that patient themselves. So if I have a certain kind of cancer, I take my sample, DNA samples, it goes off to a lab. It goes through an analysis process. You build a product that counteracts my cancer cells. It's manufactured into a product. It's sent back to the patient. It's injected back into the patient. And there's a very high probability that the patient is going to be cured. These are incredibly high cost items, but they're massive value because it saves people's lives. 
And so for now, I think what we're seeing is we're starting to see this wave of specialty and personalized medicine making a dramatic impact on the effectiveness and the outcome of the healthcare industry. And that's why if you're going to be buying a therapy or a treatment that's going to cost $500,000 or maybe even a million dollars, you want to make very sure that it's been tracked properly, that it's not going to be a failure, and that all parties that are participating in it are being honest, transparent, and fair, and that information and the product is being tracked and traced throughout the supply chain. And so that's the point that I made is there's a whole new requirement for trust and transparency across this end-to-end system. We can't tolerate all these fragmented organizations and components of the healthcare system because costs are trapped in us. Um, I'm sure you know Professor Hao Lee, and I've been on a board of advisors with him, and he makes a very profound and simple statement. He says companies have spent billions of dollars on buying these very expensive ERP systems, thinking that when I put this ERP system in place, it's going to give me full visibility of my end-to-end business, all the way from suppliers and contract manufacturers through manufacturers all the way into the hands of the patient. And yet that's not what has happened. And I can put that in real practical terms. Let's say I have a pallet of blood that's taken me 18 months to collect. My ERP system will tell me that pallet worth probably $7 million has gone into a 2 million square feet refrigeration operation, but we don't know where it is. It's somewhere, but there's thousands <laughs> of pallets in this operation. We know it never left the room, and we know that it got into the room. That's all the ERP system can tell me. But there's the reality that it might not be in the refrigeration area it's supposed to be, and therefore it expires and it's rejected and it has to be thrown away literally because it hasn't met the regulatory or the refrigeration requirements. Now, the point is my ERP system's not going to help me. So visibility inside of all of these systems has simply not been possible. Given the fact that ERP is not sufficient and that other types of technologies that have been deployed up to this point are not sufficient. What are some of the current cutting-edge technologies that will make this possible? Let's start with the real basics. Let's start at the IoT level. The many companies out there, I mean, the one I think of in particular in the life sciences industry, a company called Cloudleaf, who make an RFID active sensor that goes on containers in refrigerated environments. And it's broadcasting via cell phone signals all the way back to a control center. So I know where my product is, even though it went into an operation. I know exactly via the GPS what the temperature is, whether it's been subjected to any shocks. So IoT devices are providing literally on-the-spot detailed data about the status and the positioning of components of drug products. There's one revolutionary product that I think is going to have huge impact on visibility. The second one is obviously we've seen a lot of work around control towers. I mean, there's a couple of real success stories around control towers in the generics industry who have very complicated supply chains, who have many, many different ERP systems, but they don't necessarily have visibility across all those ERP systems. So a company like Mylan with Canaxis has done a remarkable job in providing visibility across the end-to-end supply chain. So there is another new technology that's cloud and digital-based and that's come onto the horizon in literally in the last five years. If we look at AWS, the Amazon Web Services platform that's used by Amazon themselves, but it's also used by Tracelink as a platform on which we are already doing application development as well as a development environment for new applications. AWS, as we call a digital network platform, 
is a platform that can allows partners to connect. So we're connecting retail pharmacies, we're connecting pharmacies, hospitals, patients, clinics, payers, manufacturers, contract manufacturers, all connected onto this platform. And what this platform does is, through a very clever canonical, allows partners on that network to share information. I mean, this is the way Amazon works. It's the Amazonification of the healthcare system because it connects buyers and sellers, all the partners. There are no delays. There's no integration of two databases in order for two companies to talk to each other. They provide their EDI links onto the platform. The data is exchanged. There's an overarching analytics that allows you to analyze the data on the movement of these products. But this is brand new technology, and Amazon works. It's more of a supply chain company than it is anything else. So I think there's, you know, between IoT, between AI and machine learning, I mean, Amazon, for example, don't plan with spreadsheets and planners. They plan with data scientists, algorithms, and models. So that's a fundamentally different approach to models and to planning. And what it's dependent on is I'm a prime customer. They've got my number. They know my profile. They know what I'm likely to buy. And so they've profiled me with all my data. And I'm a sort of a significant piece of that Amazon platform. They can anticipate and promote things with me, right? So the analytics component. So IoT, analytics, machine learning, artificial intelligence looking for patterns in the data. Let's bring that back around to life sciences and healthcare, because as you say, yep. it may not be as difficult to predict demand because we're not talking about apparel and seasonality and stuff like that, but we are talking about needing to know external conditions that affect the demand of particular drugs, seasons, outbreaks of disease, geographies, things like that. I take it that the artificial intelligence and machine learning engines can actually bring that information in to bear, and that will then affect the inventory levels and the levels of production up the supply chain, right? Yep, and there's a great story between Merck and Walmart, the USA Merck and Walmart, who share pollen data, they share weather data, they see what people are saying on social media, Facebook, Twitter, et cetera, about allergies, and they're adjusting and moving their inventory levels to suit the level of allergies that are at place. This has been done for the last five years. This is not something new. So I think we're going to see a lot more of that. And when you go back in terms of serialization and track and trace, we have all of these transactions that are related to scanning a serialized code as the product moves from supply all the way to a patient. We scan those. We have all sorts of transactions that are related to that product movement. Now, if you put an overarching platform in place, you can start looking for the patterns and start looking for dramatic improvements. And I'm talking about 100, 200 times improvements where you see patterns from machine learning and from the artificial intelligence analytics. You can see patterns that you didn't even know existed that you wouldn't have been able to have looked for before with ERP systems. What does that do? It improves inventory distribution. It improves even something like adverse drugs. Many of the adverse events, I don't know if you know that the drug interactions and medical errors are the third highest number of patient deaths in the field. And so what of that is attributable to mistakes that are made with products, interactions between products? And how much of that can we circumvent if we're analyzing what drugs patients are taking, what adverse events are being reported, and we can be proactive and say, well, look, hang on, we can't let that patient take that combination because based on their physical characteristics, 
we may not have a good effect. So here's the point. We've got data we never had before. We've got analytics that, that are able to analyze trends and patterns that we couldn't do before. We've got visibility capabilities that we didn't have before. We've got platforms in the cloud with web services that we didn't have before that allow people, partners in a network to seamlessly connect with each other. And when you put that all in a big mixing pot, it spells for dramatic improvement of the performance of the total healthcare ecosystem. We're just about out of time, but I just want to bring this around to a question at the very beginning about just how close we are, based on what you're telling me now, the current state of technology, and based on your definition of what an end-to-end supply chain is, how close are we on a scale of 1 to 10 of actually realizing the true end-to-end supply chain? I believe that in the life sciences industry, we're at a 5.5. I know I'm hedging my bets here, but we're definitely over the hump. And Mm -hmm. I will quantify why I say that. We've come to realize that it's actually patient-centric. We've actually come to realize that we can track and monitor and analyze patient outcomes. We can track products all the way from where they're manufactured all the way into a patient's hands to ensure that counterfeit and unsafe drugs aren't reaching patients. We have end-to-end systems and data and analytics in place that can analyze the performance of the supply chain. We haven't had that before. And so we've definitely tipped the scale. The technology foundations are there. I'm not saying they're completely there, but they certainly are over the top of the hump. And I believe the rest is going to be understanding how to deploy this how to use it, and how to transform the healthcare system using these new enablers. Well, this conversation is going to continue, I'm sure. But in the meantime, Roddy, Martin, I want to thank you so much for joining us on the show to give us the state of the art in end-to-end supply chain management, especially in life sciences and healthcare. Great talking to you. Thanks for being with us. Thanks, Bob. It was a pleasure talking to you. That was my conversation with Roddy Martin of Tracelink, talking about progress toward a true end-to-end supply chain. We're online at www.supplychainbrain.com, where we post a new episode of this podcast for streaming or downloading every Friday. You can also read my Think Tank blog, watch thousands of videos, and access all of our other content, including the digital edition of our magazine. Look for us on Facebook and LinkedIn, and follow us on Twitter, at SCBrain. You can also download or subscribe to the podcast on Apple Podcasts. Got any comments or suggestions on this or any episode? Email me at rbowman at supplychainbrain.com. See you next time.